I rolled away, struggled to my feet, and raced for the gates, Anactos not far behind me. The gates were too far away, and there was no sanctuary behind them anyway, so I turned to face the enraged baron as he raised his knife in a brief moment of triumph. My father ran him down. Is this like your dad fighting the umpire at the Little League game? I wouldn't know. I never played baseball or softball or any kind of ball. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to get you through the wait for Return of the Thief. It's August 9th, 2020. This episode, we are discussing chapters 8 and 9, because they are a combined 15 pages. 9 is a little baby chapter. Oh my god, I had a light bulb moment when I was reading this chapter. I only just realized it revolves around a broken amphora, and where else have we seen that image? Ah! It's previously when we had seen that as a metaphor, it had been for like a mistake that you make, something that you do impulsively, and then you have to live with the consequences. You can't go back. It's just broken. Whereas this, the amphora is like, it's a sign. It's he, he communicates. But it also is kind of his point of no return. Mm-hmm. That's when he he takes action and he's king after that. Yeah. Sometimes you break a jar, and then you're king. If you're ever stuck in life, go break a jar. <laughs> At the very least, it'll make you feel better. Although then you'll have to sweep. But not if you're a king. <laughs> not if you're king! <laughs> or if you fight your way out of the house immediately after. This is very... It's like a the climax of a spy movie. He goes around yeah. posing as the serving boy, and he warns all of the soldiers and his father, who doesn't recognize him until he speaks. Wild. Understandable, but... I, I don't know. I think if I, if, if I got hit really hard in the face a bunch of times and had some new scars and showed up in an outfit that I... And gained 100 pounds of muscle. Well, we all, okay, Like an fine. extra foot of yeah, height or you're something. Right. <laughs> and you're completely out of context as well. Valid. I wasn't thinking about all those little details. And Sophos's dad looks different to Sophos. He says that he'd, uh, he looked smaller mm -hmm. than I had ever seen him. And it's because like, he's flanked by these two big, beefy dudes. But also, Sophos's yeah. perspective on him has changed. And Sophos yeah, is physically he's larger. He's no longer under his father's control anymore. He's been out in the world. He tells his father to be quiet. And says, this was something oh. I'd never imagined doing, even in my freest flights of fancy, and my father was stunned silent. There comes a time in everyone's life where you realize that your dad is just a dude. He's just a guy. Essential right of adulthood. <laughs> Octo comes through in clutch here. Yeah. <laughs> and Danny's. They did not have to. Yeah. Once again, their choices. The whole thing hinges on that. Mm -hmm. And Octa says, I know nothing about kings and princes, but I know men. And it's it's interesting. I guess it's just chance that he mentions princes because he still like does not know Sophos is a prince and would have no way of even suspecting that. But I thought that was interesting. Mm. And they get nothing for... 
helping. They get nothing out of this. Yeah. Like, I have imagined, whenever I read this book, I imagine in the future when Sophos is king, what if he returns to this place and encounters these people again? And what is that interaction like? It probably wouldn't even be an interaction. They would just see him from a distance. And what does that mean? And how do they feel about that? I've been thinking about that too, because... Like, Hanactos definitely recognizes Sophos in this chapter. He knows exactly what's going on. They find it all out from Barone, etc. So the entire complex, compound, whatever, would have would have heard that that guy was the Prince of Sunus. So, mm-hmm. but every time I read this book, maybe this is getting too far ahead because it's more about the perspective of once he's actually king, but every time I read this book, I kind of, I'm annoyed that in all, in all of like the cleaning up bits after the battle and whatever like once he's actually king and can do whatever he want there's no like and when i was making all those bargains with lady hanaktia allowing her to keep her land i told her like you need to treat your workers better and maybe even free all your slaves because i've i know now that slavery is not cool and like maybe give them heat in the winter and blankets I feel like that would have been a, a pretty easy thing to slip in just by, like, a sentence or whatever. But nothing like that was in there at all. <laughs> yeah, it feels like he just forgets about these guys. Yeah, which makes me uh, uncomfortable. They are truly the reason he's alive. Literally. Several different times. Like, Sophos, <laughs> more than any of Jen's adventures. Sophos's success here really depends on other people. Like, Jen, other people are always part of Jen's plans, but it's in the sense that he's manipulating them and he's predicting what they're going to do and he's they're part of a game that he is playing. But for Sophos, other mm-hmm. people in this story are independent actors who are making choices and they happen to be the choices that let Sophos live and become king and we've talked before about how you know sophos's experience of slavery uh was not bad overall and like Mm -hmm. there's really no condemnation of slavery as an institution but i've always found it disappointing that he never comes to the conclusion that maybe as king he should like do something about this i know that's not where the story was going and it might not have even have mm-hmm. felt in place if Megan had put that in there. But I don't know. That always kind of... This book is... felt wrong to me. <laughs> it challenges our assumptions about the nice fluffy Sophos. For a lot of this book, he is selfish and he is self-serving. And the man that he becomes is not necessarily better than the boy that he was. Like, he solves a lot of his emotional problems, but also creates some new problems. I mean, I think he is motivated by, you know, the good of the country. But who is defined? And is does become, as you the know, selfless country. Like, who does that, that way, include? But... And serving the country is, like, he is the country now. Right. He yeah. is Sunis. And I know nothing about kings and princes, but I know men. Mm -hmm. But 
Sophos in this context is to a certain extent becoming not a man, like he's becoming something more than a man in the the view of of how these systems are constructed. Yeah. And, you know, Sophos does grapple with his own, you know, his own feelings about selfishness. Okay, we're getting, like, super far ahead. Um, but, you know, he says to his mother at the end, like, what if Edis doesn't want to marry me because my hands are covered in blood? So, like, does have some of this introspection. And his father is openly affectionate in this chapter. Which was really nice to see in light of everything Sophos has ever narrated about him. <laughs> it's like, oh, you kill people now. Now we can have a good relationship. My son. <laughs> Unexpectedly, my father swiveled in the saddle, bringing one arm over my head and seizing me in a bear hug. He reluctantly released me. My father caught me by the hand as I slipped down and held it while he looked into my face, making out what he could. I will kill the man that did this. And, like, it's not necessarily that he's just like, oh, Sophos is a real man now, so I respect him. It's, I think it's also that Sophos went missing and he was like, holy crap, I love my son. Yeah. Absolutely. If you feel your own father is emotionally distant, fake your own death and then <laughs> see the results. That'll show him. Pro tip. And the rest of the family is alive. Yeah. The mom and the Ugh. sisters. No sisters were harmed in the making of this yes. whole series. No one's sister has died, as far as I remember. That is a plus. Although some people's sisters have remained off screen <sighs> pointed look so the magus reappears in chapter 9 and i had missed him so much and sophos is as tall as him now yeah and sophos has missed him too he narrates i hadn't realized how much i had counted on the magus to solve all of sunus's problems until i realized we stood shoulder to shoulder and he was not in fact larger than life so Sophos hears that he's king. The king is dead. Long live the king. Who is you? Oops. He did not expect this. No. Like, he did not He did not escape Hanactos for this. <laughs> it's not what he wanted. But I think the first line of the next chapter is, I should have stayed. Your afternoon was already ruined. <laughs> <laughs> and they... Like, they don't, they don't tell him right away. I th they sort of don't even think to tell him until he goes, surely this is my uncle's decision. And they're like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> they're too busy fighting. By the way. <laughs> and they're fighting because uh, the Magus knew this was probably a trap. And he thinks Hanactos is in league with the Medes. And the Medes. Everyone's in league with the Medes. Yes. And the Medes will swallow up soonest. The Medes have directed this rebellion. And Sophus' father thinks uh, the Medes are fine. And they're going to leave us alone once they've conquered us and maybe killed some people. But that's okay because they're not Malens. And uh, we don't have to give back our port to Malens. It does seem actually like Sophus' father's idea makes more sense sense like you would think that the mead empire is far away and they would just demand a tribute and things would probably be fine like i can understand that line of logic yeah 
But the Magus is very convinced that, like, they're going to annihilate us. And I don't know if he means literally, like, kill all the people or if he means, like, culturally. I think he means culturally. I think Sufos narrates later, or, like, someone says later, like, if they come in, like, all of the landowners in a generation are going to be only mead. Only meads will serve in government, like... Yeah, and they would lose their language and their religion, um, which is not what the gods want. Mm-hmm. And the Magus says here, uh, like, mead, mead occupation has not gone so well for other countries that they've taken over. Mm-hmm. So there is historical precedence for, like, this is a shitty outcome. <laughs> and it's interesting that when Melenz, or Melenzi, whatever, is mentioned... Sophos narrates that they probably want the port back to be the final link in their trade route from the center of the continent to the Middle Sea. And I think, isn't that why the Mede Empire is also so bent on conquering this peninsula? Because I think Kamet says later, like, they want a trade route. God, I want a more detailed map. Oh, yeah. I want to see where the borders are. Because all of the... War stuff is like, this pass is here, and we need to do this, and the mountains, and the port, and the bloody, and the islands, and the only map we have is not very comprehensive. We are lucky to have a map. We didn't have a map for like 20 years. Why did it take so long to get a map in there? I guess they had to hire somebody to to draw it because she didn't draw one. I think she said in some interview, like, people were asking for a... A map, like, the month after... Of the, course they were! The came out. People love a map. chapters 8 and 9 next time the meads return send us your comments questions thoughts chime in at atelianarchives.tumblr.com be blessed in your endeavors thank you for listening this has been an amateur embroidery production on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. The map for Earthsea is so good. Anyway, this is not a podcast yeah. about Earthsea.